Uh, so today we're, we're looking at a text that is just really confusing. Uh, so like straight up, right out of the gate, here's the deal. I don't know all the answers. <laughs> uh, you're not going to leave today without having some questions that I don't answer. So just how's that for an intro? You know, like I can't answer all the questions. So uh, I'm lim- limited in my understanding. And uh, sometimes as a pastor, you get up here and that can feel kind of like a bad news. It's like, uh-oh, these, these people want answers. They, they need me to like explain everything and, and you know, completely understand every part of, you know, every scripture and accurately unpack it for y'all. But that's just not the case today. There's some confusing things. And honestly, the majority of my week was spent just like studying and researching all these different people's opinions. And I, just, I didn't figure it out. <laughs> you know, like I didn't, I didn't come to a conclusion. And I think I'm more confused right now than I was last week when I started. Um, so uh, I was just kind of thinking about that this week. And Honestly, it was just kind of a difficult week of preparation when, when you kind of encounter something like that. And I think God began to s- just kind of show me that having all the answers is not maybe always the point. Um, I was just kind of praying this week after I just like slaved over, like trying to understand this. And I was like, okay, God, like what's the most important thing here? Like, what do you want us to see? What do you want me to understand? And I felt like God just kind of answered me with what we studied last week. Uh, if you were here last week, we talked about um, this religious leader that comes up to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, what's the most important thing about life? And Jesus says, love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and love other people as you love yourself. I felt like God just kind of put me in that position where I was like, God, what's the most important thing? I don't understand. He's like, love God and love people. Like, it's still about that, even on these confusing passages. So, um, I don't necessarily want to approach a confusing text this week with the goal of answering all the questions and figuring out all the nuances. Uh, I want to approach this text uh, with the goal of encountering God, understanding God in some way that helps us love God more and love people more. Uh, does that make sense? You, you track with me? So that's the goal today. If I, if I screw it up, I'll give it my best shot and we'll, we'll try again next week. So um, the subject matter of today is Jesus uh, foretelling some events in the future. Uh, it's going to give the disciples some insight into some things that are going to happen uh, in the future. One of those is the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, and the other is the second coming of Jesus, the end times, the end of the world. And so obviously this was, you know, like I said, I don't know all the answers to this, so we're going to jump into it. We're going to try our best. Jesus is going to speak to these two different events. Uh, but before we jump into the text, I want to just lay a few foundations for us. Um, as we come into to this type of text. So the first thing, uh, foundation one, if you're taking notes, the first foundation we're going to work from is that Jesus is coming back. Uh, so that's the first foundation. Um, we have to remember that Jesus coming back is just like a basic and core teaching for anybody that believes in Jesus, uh, that he will return visibly and personally at the end of time to renew and judge the world. Like this is a basic teaching. And anybody that accepts the basic trustworthiness of the Bible has to, has to believe this. Uh, the New Testament spends almost 25% of the time like proclaiming this truth uh, in the scriptures. So uh, if we reject the second coming of Jesus, like we kind of have to just throw out the whole Bible. So uh, I'm not gonna spend out a ton of time trying to argue that that's what we believe. So that's the foundation number one that we're working for, working from. The second foundation is that the details of Jesus coming are unclear. So if the first foundation is that we know and we believe that he's coming back, the second is that the details of that coming are unclear. So Christians uh, across time and different belief systems have disagreed about all the details of this event. Um, And the the reason why is that the rules for interpreting texts that talk about Jesus coming are really unclear. 
And uh, I think about um, how prophetic texts, texts that speak about the future, um, oftentimes can seem like just historical narratives written beforehand. Uh, you're tracking without just like a historical statement that's said beforehand. So if I say next year on this date, it's going to rain, you know, and then after that, if, when it rains, you know, that, that looks like a historical statement that I just said beforehand. The problem with that is that prophetic texts in the Bible operate much more like poetry in their images and in the nuances and in the ambiguities about how it talks about different events. So it's hard to approach them and say, oh, this is just a literal statement about something that's happened in the future. So because of that, the interpretation is so hard. We can't figure out all the details. So those are two foundations. Jesus coming back, the details are unclear. And out of that, I wanna give you two implications that we're gonna work from because of those foundations. So the first one is that as we approach texts like this, but we hold our beliefs with humility. If I could give you a, a posture to think about, it would be one with open hands. So we don't come to this with close-handed belief where we like, I know it and I believe it because I figured it out. You know, we, we come to these texts with open-handed humility. And the second one is that we don't just try to avoid it. So it's still important, even though we can't know all the details. So it, sometimes it's easy for me when I approach some difficult things I don't understand to be like, oh, I, we can't know. So let's just go to the next one. <laughs> you know, we'll just try the next passage. And I don't think that's what we should do. I still think this is important for us. And I think that our views on what Jesus is talking about in this text can greatly affect how we walk through this life. The decisions we make in this life, it will make us very optimistic or very pessimistic about where the story is headed. So um, we we wanna try to encounter God in this text in a way that helps us love him more, helps us love other people more. That's, That's what we're gonna try to do. Sound good? So all that being said, let's jump into the text. We're in Mark 13, uh, page 710, if you're using one of our Bibles. And um, I'm gonna be reading from the ESV translation today. Uh, Some of the phrases, I think, help it make it a little more clear. So if you're using one of our Bibles, you'll see some of the the similar phrases, but I just wanted to give you a heads up as we follow along. Mark 13, starting in chapter, chapter 13, starting in verse one. It says, and he came out of the temple as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, this is Jesus, says, look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. It's kind of a buzzkill. It's like, thanks, Jesus. Uh, So we get to verse three. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? So uh, the temple in Jesus' day uh, had already been under construction for about 50 years, but it wasn't finished yet. Um, It's not like the skyscrapers in Nashville where like they're built in like 30 minutes. You like go to lunch and you come back and there's like an apartment complex where your office was. It's like, dang, man. It's like, it wasn't like that. It took a long time. It took decades and decades to build these buildings. And the leaders in this culture wanted this temple to be bigger and better than anything in the ancient world. Um, Some of the blocks they used in construction were just like unbelievable. They were like 60 feet long and weighed over a million pounds. Like, can you imagine like a single stone being that big? You know, and the disciples like walk by this and they're like, hey, look at this building. It's so awesome. Like what wonderful stones, what wonderful buildings. And Jesus just kind of like a buzzkill here. He's just like, hey, just so you know, like verse two, all of this is gonna be destroyed. Uh, 
Something so severe is gonna happen that this thing is gonna be leveled to the ground where there are not gonna be two stones that are on top of each other, all leveled on the ground. And Jesus specifically here is talking about an event that is gonna happen in their lifetime. He's talking about the literal destruction of the temple that will happen in 70 AD, about 40 years later. And this is when the Jewish revolt uh, kind of occurs in Jerusalem. You can go read all about this in Acts chapter 16 through 28. The Apostle Paul is involved with all of this where uh, being a follower of Jesus becomes illegal. And uh, it becomes illegal under Rome and a, a war breaks out and the governor Titus just like crushes the revolt, comes into Jerusalem and just levels the temple. Um, huge calamity in, in the city. And uh, Christians all over in that time were scattered across the, the ancient world. And they take the message of Jesus all over the known world and the movement of Jesus is awakened and we're, we're like still riding that wave today from this event. And Jesus is gonna speak prophetically about what this event is and how it's gonna look. So later on, we get to verse four and it says Jesus is up on the Mount of Olives uh, with some of his disciples. And this is just a small mountain that's uh, located opposite Jerusalem, uh, opposite the temple. And this is the view they would have seen. Josh, if you can put that slide up. I thought this was helpful to me. So this was a modern day picture taken from uh, the Mount of Olives. And then they did like a CGI rendering of what the temple would have looked like. So like, this is the context, you know? So they're, they're walking up on the mountain, they sit down and this is what they see. And, they, and they're still like trying to like, Jesus, how is this gonna happen? Like, I see this huge temple. This is the greatest thing, the greatest building we've ever seen. Thanks, Josh, you can take that down. And they're like, Jesus, hold on. Okay, remind us again, like, how is that gonna happen? What, what is that? And how are we gonna know when that happens? So they're asking this question. And as we read and kind of study Jesus's response to them, I want you to have the image of a timeline in your head. So if you think of a timeline, beginning to end, like beginning of time, end of time, Jesus is gonna start with a short-term zoomed-in timeline to their lives and what's gonna happen in the course of their life. And the language here is gonna be real important. Uh, so if you underline in your Bible or you take notes, uh, underline the phrase, these things. It's a really important phrase in this passage. These things, every time Jesus says that phrase, is gonna refer uh, to this event, the destruction of the temple. So these things equals the destruction of the temple. And you'll see him talk about it as, as we work through the text. So let's read verses five through 13. You can follow along with me. Mark 13, chap, uh, chapter 13, verse five. Jesus began to say to them, see that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he. They will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. Verse nine, but be on your guard for they will deliver you over to councils. You will be beaten in synagogues and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, don't be anxious beforehand, what are you gonna say? But say whatever is given to you in that hour for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. I love that. Verse 12, and brother will deliver brother over to death and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. So the disciples asked Jesus, uh, you know, what are these things that you're talking about? Like, wh what are these things, and when will we know that these things are taking place? And Jesus responds to that question, kind of an outline of everything that's about to happen, and like, it's not super bright, you know, it's like, this is some hard stuff that he's letting them into, 
And uh, so Jesus right here is still talking about the, the destruction of the, the temple and he's very specifically preparing for what that will look like in their lives. He said, hey, there's gonna be people that are gonna try and lead you astray, uh, lead you away from believing in my name. You're gonna hear rumors of wars. There will be kingdoms and nations that will battle. The temple's gonna be destroyed. In verse seven, he says, this has to take place, but the end is not yet. So he's saying, this will take place, but that, that doesn't mean that's the end. Verse 10, he'll say the gospel has to be proclaimed first to all nations. And here's the big idea that why Jesus is telling them this. So we can get into some of the nuances, but I wanna get into the big idea. Why does Jesus tell them this? Like, why doesn't he just kind of uh, tell them, hey, it might be hard, but you know, why does he actually give them the details of this? I think he, he tells them this for three reasons. Perspective, trust, and purpose. I think Jesus is giving them a heads up for perspective, trust, and purpose. Perspective as they go through the difficulty so they can have trust in God and live with the right purpose. And the easiest way I know how to explain this is to use analogy of a movie. So raise your hand if you've ever seen a movie. All right, we can all, part- come on, everybody's seen a movie. We can all participate in this. Um, so uh, pretty much every storyline to every movie kind of has a similar narrative arc, if you think about it. Um, you know, there's this hero or heroine, and there's, you know, something they're trying to get, an, you know, a mission they're trying to accomplish, and there's always some obstacle or some adversity, and they got to push through it, and they got to figure it out. Then there's, you know, rising action, and then, you know, that, that's, the, that's the story. So whether it's Lord of the Rings or Avengers, or if that's not your cup of tea, like, you've got mail. Like, same thing, you know, like... <laughs> The same formula, they're all, it's why we love movies, because they, they just hook with this. But I want you to think about a movie that you love, because it's going to have, so everybody right now, think, think about that movie, all right? And so think about, you know, the, the rising action, there's suffering, there's some obstacles and difficulty. You don't think they're going to make it. And then the end, they come through, and it satisfies our hearts that just crave the happily ever afters. And we're like, yes, cathartic justice. And we just cheer and we love. And it's like, that's why we love movies, right? So I want you to imagine if you were to watch that movie for the first time, never seen it before. And also that, that you had no conception of like the Hollywood happily ever after. So you didn't necessarily, necessarily approach it being like, oh, well, it's all gonna work out in the end. So, you know, I'm not gonna be afraid. Like if you actually were watching this uh, as um, the first time, didn't know what's coming, uh, you would get pulled in to the experiences and the stories and what the characters were going through. You would really experience it like they would. You would experience the, the adversity. You would not know if they're actually gonna make it. And you get to the end and you, know, you see uh, the happily ever after ending. But, but think about if you were to watch it a second time. If you were to watch it a second time, your perspective and your experience of watching that movie would be different because you know what the end is like. Uh, so you might still experience some of the emotion, uh, some of the empathy with the characters as they face adversity and as they experience difficulty. You're gonna still experience some of that, but the whole time you're thinking, but I know the ending. I know where this is headed. I know that, this, that they have to go through this situation so that they can reach this and you know, fulfill this mission at the end. You, you understand the story in context of where it's headed and that there's hope and joy at the end. So I think this is, in effect, what Jesus is doing for the disciples here. Um, He's saying, guys, look, okay, it's going to get tough. There's going to be some suffering and some adversity. Uh, You're going to be persecuted. People are going to lead you astray. Families are going to turn on one another. Don't give up. 
Like, here's the ending. Don't give up. Don't be afraid. Of that in verse seven, he says, don't be afraid. Like, I'm with you. He just gives them a promise. And in verse 11, he says, don't be anxious. The Holy Spirit is with you. He will speak to you and lead through you. Have faith in me that my purposes will be victorious in the end. You will be saved if you believe. And I think Jesus is just giving them perspective on how to experience some of the difficulty they're about to face, calling them to trust in God, helping them to live with purpose as they face those trials. Just removing the lie of this utopian fantasy where adversity is absent from the Christian life. I think he's saying, hey, the assurance of adversity doesn't need to produce fear and anxiety for you. It produces confidence because the Holy Spirit is with you. And I think he's saying that to us too, the, the assurance of adversity in our lives, the assurance of difficulty and trials that we will go through uh, does not need to produce fear and anxiety and worry. Saying it should produce confidence that God's purposes are stronger and the Holy Spirit is with you. He gives them the end of the movie. He gives them a clear p- picture. And this is something that I felt God was just like really teaching me this week as I was trying to figure out like, what do, what do I do with this? How do I encounter this? And I think he was just saying to me that my faithfulness to him does not mean I have to have all the answers to everything that's coming in the future, to have my life plan figured out, to understand my current life circumstances and where they're gonna head. Is it, that, doesn't, that doesn't equate faithfulness. Faithfulness is trusting in me that I will give you the grace to walk through what I've called you to, to, to encounter the experiences that you're gonna face, that I will be with you, I will give you the grace, and my purposes will be strong. We get to verses 14 through 27, and uh, things are about to get real weird. <laughs> like, things are about to get really like, unclear and confusing, so let's remember, remember our foundations. Uh, Jesus is coming back, but the details of this are unclear, so we approach it with humility. And Jesus is gonna switch gears here and zoom the timeline out. So if he was just talking about uh, something that would happen in the disciples' life, now he's gonna zoom the timeline way out and he's gonna begin uh, talking about his second coming. And instead of using the phrase, these things, you'll start to see Jesus use the phrase, those days. Instead of these things, he's gonna start to say, those days. So if these things talked about the destruction of the temple, he's gonna switch gears and start to talk about now in those days. That's gonna talk about his second coming. Uh, you'll see it in verses 19 and 24. I'll say, for in those days there will be tribulation, but in those days and after that tribulation, and uh, I read like 30 different commentaries about you know, what all this means and the nuances of the text. Um, and I'm not gonna read the whole thing here, but Jesus is just giving us and giving the disciples uh, a glimpse into what the end times is gonna look like. Um, it, it's, it's, and it's really confusing. It talks about a person uh, named the abomination of desolation. <laughs> you know, it sounds like a WWE wrestler. It's like, what is that? You know, like, how do I even know where to start with who that is or what that will look like? Uh, it says there'll be tribulation that will be greater than ever in history. Suffering that's just unbelievably severe. Verse 24 is gonna talk about the sun turning dark and the stars falling and the, falling and the powers of heaven shaking. It's all mysterious and it's very foggy. Remember, open-handed belief here. We don't understand what this means. Uh, if you want some resources on like, how to study that and where to go for maybe some more study, I can give that to you. Um, but we're gonna press on here to see the bigger picture of what Jesus is talking about. So in verse 27, Jesus is gonna say, after all of that, and then he will send out his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth 
to the ends of heaven. That's the end of the story. That's where this is headed. Jesus gathering all the believers and having present, being in the presence of God for eternity. That, like, that's where Jesus is going to come back. That's where it's headed. He's going to judge the earth, everyone living here. Justice, like justice for all the evil and the sin in our world will be given. Evil permanently done away with. Anyone who has placed faith in Jesus, that's the elect. Anybody that's placed faith in Jesus will be saved, spend eternity with God. Second coming of Jesus is the fulfillment of everything in life that we did not understand. It will show that everything will have had purpose. I think there's this longing inside all of us um, that things right now should not be as they are. I don't know if you feel this sometimes, but we see maybe the Syrian refugee crisis or we have a personal uh, you know, struggle with an illness or you know, there's something in our hearts to say, man, why is there this evil and why is there this suffering? Like things shouldn't be this way. Like, do you ever feel this way? And I think there's also something in, in us that says, and they shouldn't be allowed to stay that way. Like we gotta do something. We gotta change it. Like anybody believing in Jesus or not, feels that tension in their hearts, I think. This is a longing for the hope of the gospel. This is a longing in everyone's hearts for the hope of God's redemptive plan to be brought to fruition on the earth, that everything will be made right. And this is something that sets the Christian belief apart from every other belief system in the world. And Jesus is gonna give his disciples and us today a picture of the end of where it's headed, of the hope of the future so that we can have perspective, so we can trust in God and that we can live with purpose. Let's keep going. Jesus, in verse 28, zooms back in with the disciples briefly. Let's read, it says, from the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place. So he's talking about the destruction of the temple again. When you start to see these things take place, you'll know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So he jumps back and he says, now remember, I just gave you the big picture. Now let's zoom back in. This is going to happen in your life. You're not going to, you're not going to die before these things happen. Trust in my word, trust in my promises. This is what we're saying in that first song that Jared led us in, like the word of God will not be shaken. His promises are true. And he says, remember this. He's gonna zoom right back out in verse 32. He's gonna help them see the big picture again in verse 32. And it says, but concerning that day, or some translations say, those days or those hours. So talking about the end times again. No one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. Be on guard, keep awake. If you do not know when the time will come, it's like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. If you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you is what I say to all. Stay awake. So, People across all generations have tried to uh, read this text and other texts in the Bible and figure out all the details, right? If you ever watched the, the History Channel, like the Bible Code, you know, they like turn the letters into numbers and they make this formula that like gives us a number a, and a date when it will happen. And it's like, then it is like people over and over have just failed. They're like, it's gonna happen tomorrow. And it's like, nothing happens. And, and Jesus is saying here, he says, no one knows. <laughs> like he just looks, him, looks at him in the face and he says like zero, no one. Anyone that says they know, 
doesn't know. <laughs> He's like, only God knows. And he gives us the big zoomed out picture again. And his exhortation to the disciples and to you and me is this, stay awake. Some of your translations say, be watchful or watch. I think the best translation of this is have a clear mind. Like don't be asleep where your mind is not active. Like have a clear mind. I think what Jesus is trying to say here is, in other words, live for the right things. Live for the right purposes in your life, knowing where this is all headed. I think faithfulness to God is not foretelling the future or understanding all of our questions. It's obedience in the present. That's what faithfulness to God is. It's not understanding all the details and, and you know, understanding our current life circumstances even. It's faithfulness is obedience in the present, trusting in God, staying awake, living for the right things. So what do we take from this? Uh, Jesus giving us this big picture, giving the disciples the, the immediate, immediate life situations that they're gonna encounter. What do we take from it? How do we encounter God and Jesus in this text in a way that doesn't just cause us to leave going, huh, I wonder what that'll look like and what are the questions I need to answer? How do we, how do we see Jesus in this where we leave loving God more with all of our heart, all of our soul, mind, and strength, where we love people more relentlessly, where we, we want to love people more with all of our hearts, so I want to talk just briefly for those of us in the room that are believers in Jesus, if you follow Jesus. I think in the same way Jesus was giving the disciples perspective, trust, and purpose for their life experiences, I think he wants to do that for us too. I think, like, remember this, like, adversity is not an abnormality in the Christian life. It's an inevitability. Like, it's going to happen. Jesus doesn't promise anything that says, Hey, ease of life and comfort. That's, what, that's what's headed for anybody that believes in my name, right? He, he doesn't say that. He said adversity is inevitable. It's coming. Both because of the faith that, faith that we have and also because we live in a broken world with the effects of sin because we're broken people ourselves. And I love this. Uh, in, in 1 Peter, this is, the book of 1 Peter was written by Peter, the disciple who is on the mountain with Jesus in this moment. So he's, he's listening to Jesus talk about this and he's gonna write a book, write a letter to the church in 68 AD. That's when they think he, he wrote this book. So this is right during the middle of the revolt where all this is happening. The temple is coming down and Peter writes this book to the church, writes this letter to the church. I want you to listen to this. First uh, Peter chapter four, verse 12. I'll, I'll read it for us. He says, beloved, do not be surprised when the trial comes on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. I love that. He's, not, he's like, don't be surprised as if it were weird or strange or abnormal for you to experience this. Don't be surprised if it, as if it were strange. But rejoice as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Isn't that awesome? It's like rejoice in the sufferings because like you know God, rejoice in that, but also that his glory will be revealed. The purposes will be revealed when he comes back. Like hope in that, rejoice in that. And then he goes on in verse 19, and this is just epic. I love this. It says, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to their faithful creator while doing good. Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to their faithful creator while doing good. Like, what? That is just awesome encouragement right there, you know? He's like, okay, so when you face difficulty, like it's gonna come, adversity will be in your life, 
When you face it, whether it's calamity or cancer or conflict, like we put it into perspective of God's redemptive plan, his purpose-filled plan. There is no pain, no difficulty, and no hardship that the believer in Jesus faces that does not have ultimate purpose to accomplish our good and the glory of God. Like, what a promise. That's what we put our hope in. That's what we rejoice in. We understand that the hardship hurts. We empathize with each other as we go through it. We mourn, we grieve, we feel, but we live and we act and we speak in a way that shows that we have hope, that shows that we believe that God's purposes are stronger. We know where the story is headed. We do not despair. We live in a way that understands the purposes of God. Like not just having the zoomed in timeline where it's just like, all I see is like the next week and how my current life situation affects us the next week. It's like, have the full timeline. Jesus is like, get an eternal perspective. So you see what I'm doing. Even if you don't understand it, you live and are faithful with obedience because you trust in my promise. We allow that perspective of God's plan to drive our day-to-day actions as we go after our goal of loving God and loving people. Peter's also gonna say in chapter two, he's gonna describe Jesus as the cornerstone of heaven, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be rejected. I love that imagery, the cornerstone. A cornerstone is a stone that would be used to build an entire building around it. So the angles were perfect. It was like a perfect stone that they would use as a foundation. And you remember what Jesus said in verse two, he's gonna talk about the temple. He's gonna talk about the stones that they're marveling at. He's gonna say, all these temple stones, they're gonna be crashing down. They're not worth putting your hope in. And Peter's gonna come back and say with kind of a metaphorical context, trust in Jesus, the cornerstone, who will not be shaken. Don't trust in temple stones, trust in the cornerstone. So if you follow that illustration with me, uh, this is the question I want us to wrestle with today. Are we putting our trust in temple stones or in the cornerstone? Are we putting our trust in temple stones or the cornerstone? In other words, are we living in a way that reflects that we put our trust in the temple stones of life, the things that will pass away, the things that will crumble, the things that will let us down? Those are temple stones. I think if we walked around with Jesus today in the flesh, he wouldn't point out temple stones He wouldn't use that language. I think he would point out some things in my life with modern examples of things that I put my hope in, things that I trust in for my satisfaction and for my hope. Some examples for us might be our career or other people's opinion of us, money, material possessions, the government, things that we put our hope in, things that we trust in to satisfy us and be strong. These are temple stones that when all is said and done, will be leveled to the ground. Uh, will not endure to the end, uh, will not satisfy us, and will not have ultimate purpose in light of eternity. So we're trusting in those things, the temple stones, or are we trusting and putting our faith in the cornerstone, Jesus Christ, the one that has shown us that he will be, he has been victorious and he will be victorious. It was coming back one day to restore and redeem all the brokenness, show justice for sin and evil. So as we, as we go to communion, Um, I really want us to actually flesh this out. Like I want us to think about this in community. What does your life reflect? In seasons of joy, in um, seasons of prosperity, in seasons of all these hope, like is your life trusting in Jesus? In in seasons of adversity and difficulty and pain, do we live in a way that shows that our hope is in the cornerstone of Jesus that will not be shaken? Living with the purpose 
Understand, like understanding the right purpose for our lives based on like in light of eternity, we live with this purpose to love God with all of our heart, our soul and mind and strength and to love other people relentlessly as we go throughout life. Seeing our career, our identity, passions and circumstances all through the lens of God's plan and desire for us to love him. If you don't believe in Jesus today, uh, I just wanna say just a quick uh, word to you. Uh, my, my plead with you, I plead with you, place your faith in the cornerstone, Jesus. Like he's the only one that will endure. The reality is that he will actually return. It's a reality and only those that have placed their faith in him will be saved. Put your trust, like put your trust in God, not out of fear or guilt or obligation, but in a response to what he has done for you to make knowing God possible. Like put your trust in God today. Trust in his sacrifice so that you might go free. I love that uh, promise that Peter says, those who trust in the cornerstone will not be rejected. It's a promise, like trust in Jesus today. Let's pray.